Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Rain City Bunker. I am Greg Moon here with my buddy Andy Brown. Hello. And uh, we've been gone again for a little while, but we've had some uh, fun adventures over the summer. Have we, have we, we didn't do a show during the summer, did we, Greg? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last show was uh, January or February. <laughs> and we uh, spoke with Drew Barth in our last uh, show. And anyhow, what's been going on this summer, Andy? Well, uh, since you mentioned Drew, I can uh, tell you that he has since moved to L.A. I, I caught up with him a little bit on uh, Facebook. Uh, he's moved to L.A. and he's he's getting a lot of stand-up gigs and he's going to auditions. Uh, no no big thing yet, but I think it's a matter of time. He's been getting some, some good auditions and kind of making the adjustment. He did say uh, he's happy there, but... Uh, you know, some of L.A. and uh, Hollywood that we're familiar with, uh, you know, uh, kind of the roughness of the town and uh, how tough it can be is is true. But he's he's doing uh, he's doing well. And like I said, he's getting a lot of gigs and it looks promising. Yeah, that was a lot of fun doing that interview with him and uh, wish him the best of luck. Uh, he was a funny, humble, nice guy. You just wish the best for someone like that. So he is down in L.A., and he's busy with gigs, lots of gigs. Yeah, uh, yeah. it sounds like he, he hosts a lot of um, uh, nights at comedy, uh, comedy places, and, and he's, he's been getting his own stand-up stuff and everything. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, kind, kind of we're talking about, well, Drew following his dream and making some success at it. Uh, talk about our things, Andy. Uh, <laughs> Andy and I uh, have, I think we mentioned the last podcast, I believe we mentioned it, did we? About a lot of talk. About a lot of talk. So anyhow, I've been working on that for quite a while. Andy helped me shape it and mold it, and we launched that in July. So a lot of talk.com is going, and we're, um, it's fun. It's, it's going well. Well, <laughs> it's fun, and it's working technically well, but we don't have a lot of traffic. But uh, I had a really interesting interview with my stepbrother, John Ramberg, of the Tripwires, and so we got some decent reviews on that, but uh, we're still hoping, you know, to get the word out on a lot of talk.com. It's somewhat unique. You have a private profile, a public profile. You can speak privately, kind of like messaging or email or speak publicly and anonymously. I'm not, we're not hooked into Facebook yet. <laughs> um, they haven't. They haven't extended their tentacles into a lot of yeah. talk. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's sister works for. Uh, Facebook, and she got in a little bit of hot water. She said that there will be no anonymity on the internet, and uh, I don't like that. Even though well, I have nothing to hide. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. But wasn't it shortly after that that she announced that she was leaving Facebook as well? Oh, I don't think she's leaving. Is she? Is she? I, I'm not sure. I hadn't heard that. So if that's inaccurate, uh, no, my I think she's still there. Randy is her name. Randy. I think Super so. Yeah. yeah. In fact, they keep telling me I, sh I should follow her on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, a lot of talk. Uh, you can be anonymous if you want, and uh, so anyway, it's a you know it's not as fancy as some other sites, but it's a it's, it's been pretty reliable and pretty fun. And Andy came up with a new idea. We're gonna work on. Yes, that's uh, that's still in the works. So I'll wait till it's a little bit more developed okay. before okay. I uh, talk about that. Um, but Andy's got a cool idea. We're gonna pursue that too. So. If you, if you irons in the dream. fire, yes, uh, and a potential uh, a potential documentary that I might be working with some people on, uh, uh, hopefully that'll take off. Um, let's see, 
as far as what I did, what I did for the summer, what I did over my summer vacation. <laughs> Wish it was a vacation. Yeah, you did have one, didn't you? Uh, I had a little one. Uh, so we should tell people who have don't live here in Seattle that the summer was. How would you put it? It was pretty mild. It was say? mild, cool, and rainy at the beginning, and then we yeah. had some decent. Yeah, so it never got really too hot, uh, and the weather wasn't too bad, but it almost kind of felt like uh, weather-wise, we really didn't have much of a summer, and I had uh, the opportunity to go uh, with my girlfriend and her daughter. My girlfriend was on a business trip in Orlando, and uh, I went and met her there with her daughter. Uh, the daughter traveled with me, and my first time traveling with a kid since I was a kid, probably. Mm-hmm. And but that went fine. She was really good. Um, and Orlando definitely had what I considered sunny weather. It was really nice there. We did. There were some uh, thunder showers and stuff, but they came and went r- very uh, quickly. Uh, we stayed at a really nice resort, um, which had swimming pools uh, and a lazy river, which is like a little. Uh, man-made river that flowed between all of the the pools, which is kind of neat. So you could sit in an inner tube and just float around. Kind of like a little water park? Yeah, yeah, slightly. And then uh, speaking of water parks, that was kind of the surprise for me, is uh, we set aside one day to go to the Disney water park, which I, uh, Blizzard Beach, I think is what it's called. And I actually liked it a lot more than I thought I would because I am not a, I'm not a water person. I never was a big swimmer and you know uh that sort of thing but man i i just had a i had a really good time and you know the uh the water slide rides were really fun and and uh uh yeah we i think we had a great time and the weather was great when we were there so yeah um, you had 80s i think we had 60s yeah we were we were in the 80s it never got too too hot uh, I think the last day we were there is probably actually when I got a little bit of a sunburn, and, and that was in the high 90s, I think. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't too terrible. It wasn't too humid. Um, it was a lot of fun. Nice to kind of experience some summer. And uh, how about how much? Gee, Greg, I don't remember if you did any. Tra- did you do? I any went to California just went to California. about let's see about a month ago. I hopped in my car, kind of crazy, <laughs> drove to San Diego. It's a 20 hour drive. Uh, but I always enjoy seeing my relatives, and I love the beach, Coronado Beach in San Diego. And it was nice weather, as usual. It was warm. Not super hot, but warm yeah. and pleasant and nice. So, But next year, I'm thinking of going to Pyongyang, North Korea, <laughs> because – our first story of the podcast – because after 24 years after it was started, the hotel, which was once aimed to be the world's tallest tower – it will now open its doors in the North Korean capital. It's oh boy, these are tough pronunciations. Rugyong Hotel, glass tower spanning 105 stories and rising 1,080 feet, will partially open in April of next year. <laughs> followed following decades of delays, according to reports. Is that the part where you won't fall through the floor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I. Uh, I read some previous some reports on this, and they didn't have the best construction quality. So, <laughs> be careful when you're, uh, you know, walking across the floor. Um, let's see. The, the long delayed opening will coincide with the hundredth anniversary of the birth of the nation's founder Kim Il Sung, with celebrations peaking on fifteenth of April of next year. And it was in nineteen eighty seven that that hotel, whose name means Capital of Willows, was first launched with the grandiose ambition of cre- creating the world's largest tower. But uh, 
However, construction ground to a halt in 1993 following lack of funds, following the collapse of the Soviet Union, economic mismanagement, and natural disasters. Poor North Korea. I mean, they have a terrible, <laughs> crazy dictator, and they've really encountered just yeah. terrible natural disasters, and it just compounds, and they live in misery. Is so this, is this that, the same? That part's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> is this the same one, Greg? I remember you and I talking about this uh, quite a while ago. That can be seen from satellite photos, and, and they talked about it. It just this giant empty structure. It had been empty since the 80s, yeah. right? You oh, said yeah. The 80s? Yeah, it's never been occupied, never been open since Boy, 1987. Uh, how would you like to be the first? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and you know, you know, they're gonna get for any anybody who's foreign coming in to see that place. They're they're gonna have their mandatory tour guides, and and can you imagine that? Oh my god, the job that that would be for the poor tour guide. You know, <laughs> oh jeez, having to keep people away from you know horrible structural flaws and try to keep them safe yet not say anything bad that no. would get you in trouble. Oh, I can't even imagine walking the tightrope. And there's one more paragraph from the story. Oh, I forgot the, um, to provide the source of the story, but we'll, we'll post it on Rain City Bunker, and we're going to cross-post on a lot of talk. Um, there's one more paragraph I just had to uh, read because it's kind of funny. The hotel, which consists of three jagged sides of, in a pyramid form, was also condemned by critics as ugly, with Esquire magazine hailing hailing as the worst building in the history of mankind. Oh, jeez. So uh, you follow the link and you can see a picture. It's actually kind of interesting looking. Yeah. I, I would be a bit hesitant to go in. Yeah. Well, I, you know, North Korea is, I mean, as, as tragic as that part of the world is, uh, you know, when you hear about the starvation and, and just the, the lack of civil rights and so forth, it, it is really fascinating because it seems like they have – it's one of the last places on the planet where there's this just almost total dictatorial control. And I think eventually – I have to believe eventually that's going to end one way or the other, um, whether it ends in kind of a, a, a denouement, you know, gradual denouement of uh, openness uh, or whether it kind of has a, a fiery end, you know, I hope not. But um, what I think will be very interesting is once the rest of the world kind of is allowed in to see what, what's happened there. Oh, yeah. We, we can only imagine the levels of craziness that have happened. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you know, news stories come out every once in a while. I, I think there was another news story that there was a... a uh, water park. Speaking of water parks, that was constructed entirely for Kim, for Kim Il Jong, the current leader. The current leader. Uh, that once again, you know, people saw from satellite. That's the reason that they know it's there. Um, it, you know, it, at times, you know, there's that South Park movie, Team America, uh, and I don't know how many people listening. Did you see Team America? Yeah, you, you see oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the way they depict him, uh, you know, obviously for humorous effect. I think is probably not too far off from the mark where he's almost like this uh, demented little kid who, you know, is just can stamp his feet and, and uh, you know, demand whatever he wants and, and has an entire nation at his at his control, or at least that's the way it appears. Yeah, well, it's, it's cliche, but, you know, it's kind of true. He was raised to be a leader. He yeah. always, his whole life, I'm sure he was surrounded by trappings of power and wealth yeah. and he just always grew up thinking he's the baddest ass guy around and just yeah. gets bigger and worse yeah 
they they sent out stories like he played a round of golf and every every hole was a hole in one, <laughs> and that he's a, he's a master chess player. And, yes, yeah, and, and he's a genius level this and a genius level that. Yeah. So, I think one of the most amazing stories uh, I saw in a documentary about him was uh, that he had become fascinated with this. Uh, Korean actress she, she she lived in Paris at the time and he actually had her kidnapped from Paris and brought to North Korea. Did you ever hear about this, Greg? Yeah, I, was it a Japanese actress? Or oh, Korean? I thought she was Korean. She might have been Japanese. I think I remember a Japanese similar story, yeah. maybe same story. Yeah. <laughs> but uh uh well they definitely had Japanese people kidnapped. And, okay, maybe I'm um, conflating the two stories. But he kidnapped this actress because it was she was one of his favorite actresses. Right? Was she held captive? For she was. She was held there. Two she's, years, five years. I think it was closer to like five years. Wow. And, yeah. And uh, had her, you know, act in mo- movies in North Korea because I think he's also a genius uh, movie director too, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Which you aspire to. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. So, like I said, one of these days, um, who knows when it will happen, but I think it will. Uh, the doors to North Korea are going to open, and it's going to be really interesting yeah. to see see what's there. One, uh, one more thing about summer. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention this, sure. Andy. Uh, our friend Jason. Our friend Jason, uh, I think partly encouraged by the work we do on Rand City Bunker, and he's a wonderful sports announcer. He does football, and uh, he's done basketball announcing, and I've heard him. He's really, really good. And I was real excited. He threw a series of kind of, opportunities or ideas he he started his own radio show so he had his own radio show on 1150 kknw from july and today was his last show unfortunately because jason got really in a severe wreck someone t-boned him someone ran through a stop sign at around 30 miles an hour according to what i've heard and hit him on the door and it broke his knee so he's been uh, in the hospital and convalescing for a month so unfortunately, that's spelling the demise of a show for now. Yeah. But uh, both of us want to wish Jason the best as he recovers and uh, look forward to finding out his next step in his uh, media career. And uh, Oh, and just when that happened, he had just got on um, – oh, I forget the name of it. It's a local Northwest sports uh, podcast. Uh, it's it's not a podcast. They live cast uh, high school sports. And Jason was had done one show – and was scheduled to do a bunch of other shows, but unfortunately the accident interrupted. Yeah. So anyway, all the best to Jason and looking forward to him uh, moving forward with his media career. And he's, he's in turn inspired us a little bit thinking about different things. Yeah, what I, we could I, do. I think he has a real talent too. I've, I've heard of his show and uh, he's good. Um, oh, and I, I just, you're uh, reminding me of different forms of media and Jason, who's a, a gamer, I guess I should say yeah, that, that. Um, I am a playing card in a in a board game it's called fortune and glory uh some friends of mine uh, flying frog productions flying frog productions and i play games pretty often with jason and that's a up and coming little company so yeah. really proud of those guys i met them once we went to a halloween party oh that's right with those yeah, guys yeah. a couple of years ago and they're super nice guys and i wish them the best and they're they're you know they're game publishing 
world. And uh, yeah, and uh, this new game looks great. I haven't played it yet. And Andy's a card, and another friend of ours is on a card, right? Andy? Yeah, uh, our buddy Ron. Um, what they do is, you, you know, so it's it's a board game, but you get diff- different cards, and and they have different functions in the game. I haven't played the game yet. Um, but I, one of the ways that they design their games or part of the design of their games, I think is a kind of a cool thing that they do. So they, they take pictures of actual people. Now they've had stuff. The game that I'm in is called, uh, fortune and glory. And it's kind of a Indiana Jones esque, uh, adventure game set in like the 1930s. And, and you get to go on, on the board, you get to go around the world and have different adventures and so forth. And, um, what they do, and I've seen this in their other games, they have a zombie game and they have an alien invasion game and so forth, is they take, um, they have models or some of their friends and they take pictures of them as different characters and then using Photoshop, though they're really talented at this, they can, they can take the picture of you and put you in a scene. For example, I am in the, in the game that I'm in, I am the character of the mechanic. So if you draw my card, you get certain points and the picture of me that they took one of them i'm on two different cards um i'm leaning over uh, a car engine with a you know a wrench and i was not they took the picture and i was not leaning over a car engine i was just leaning over and then they added this you know wow old, old antique car <laughs> into the picture and so forth and uh they do a really great job of it and they like i said they like greg said they're uh uh they're becoming very popular in the gaming scene and uh, so keep an eye out it, for it. And, uh, We're talking board gaming. Obviously. Board gaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's actually kind of coming back a little bit. I've been playing oh, yeah. for over a year, yeah. uh, Blue Highway Games up in Queen Anne. And uh, it's a, it's quite a community. It's a little community, and it's fun. It's a little inter- human interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I just got a phone, so I'm, I love the, the gadgets, too. Oh, yeah, Greg finally got a smartphone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Andy, you had yours for two years. We found his in the snow. Did we mention that on the podcast? I don't remember. Yeah, I think it's been longer than two but years. But that would so. be a great iPhone commercial because yeah. we found that phone in the snow after it had been there for a week. And Andy had it for about a year and a half or yep. two years yep. after that. But anyway, I just got my first one and I'm hooked. Like That's why I didn't get one because I was afraid to get hooked. But anyway, <laughs> the board games, it's kind of an old school thing, but it's fun. It's interactive. And uh, best of luck to uh, Flying Frog Productions. So, I don't think the summer would be complete, or Rain City Bunker would be complete without a creature feature. Um, And this one is not actually, well, I don't even think it officially falls in the summer, because this is relatively recent. Uh, We're recording the show, what's today's date? Today is Thursday the 13th of October. Thursday the 13th, and this this, uh, news item came out a couple days ago on October 11th. Um, and what it claims, fresh off the uh, presses here, is Siberia claims to find evidence of Yeti. Uh, officials in Siberia said they have found uh, indisputable proof of the existence of Yetis. And they put the indisputable proof in uh, quotation marks there. <laughs> uh, local government officials and <laughs> We always do this. Can I- Kemerovo, Kemerovo said footprints and possibly even hair samples belonging to the Yeti or abominable snowman have been found on a research trip. Quote, during the expedition to the uh, <laughs> Azaz Kaya Cave, <laughs> conference participants gathered indisputable proof that the 
Sharia mountains are inhabited by the snowman, the Camara. Can, can you help me with this pronunciation? <laughs> the Camarovo region administration set. Boy, I'm sorry, folks, for my bad reading. We'll, we'll post a link. If you want to pronounce it right, you can read it yourself. So I'm just going to skip over the pronunciation. <laughs> the expedition was organized after blah. Government uh, governor invited researchers from the U.S., Canada, and other countries to share their research and stories of encounters with the creature at the conference. They found his footprints, uh, quotes again, they found his footprints, his supposed bed, and various markers with which the Yeti marks his territory. What would that which be? Which we can only imagine. <laughs> yes. Or not imagine. This statement said, uh, the evidence will be analyzed in a special laboratory, it continued. I'm going to make one more shot at pronouncing this. Kemerovo's region's... region's Sharia, Saraya is a sparsely populated territory in Western Siberia that has historically been a territory of coal and metal mining. The region, the administration, the region, the administrative center of Kuznetsk <laughs> coal basin has pursued the elusive Yeti for several years as it tries to develop tourism into its mostly industrial economy. So... I suspect that the evidence is the same sort of evidence that we've heard about for all these years. You know, we found some fur. We found. Yeah, I wonder if the tourism. I, I, oh, I come on, that's cynical, no? Greg. Oh, okay. That's just cynical. Well, the yeti, <laughs> if it exists, apparently is a relative of our own Sasquatch. Yes, is that is that the current theory? Supposedly, yes. or a similar type creature. Yes, in the abominable snowman, that's the same thing, right? That's just yeah, another yeah. word for abominable that. snowman. Is there yeah. any other creature like that? Just those two? Uh, you know, there. I, I know from my when I was a kid, I was I was very much into you know Yeti and and uh, Bigfoot stories and so forth. And I think a lot of other cultures have their their what would you call it? They're, they're ape man. Anthropomorphic or they're ape. Yeah. Yeah. They're Have ape man. man they're, they're wild man yeah. sort of thing. But I think those, uh, at least in the, in the consciousness of, uh, of Americans and so forth, I think Bigfoot and Yeti seem to be the most popular, but I, I, I suspect that these are kind of, uh, that this is not going to yield, uh, you know, sorry to be a killjoy on this, but I, I don't think this is going to yield anything. Um, Too uh, conclusive. Huh? No. Well, but you know, we can maybe, always hope. Yeah, maybe we need maybe we need stuff like that. Yeah. You know, well, with the world population approaching seven billion, they're going to have less and less places to hide. <laughs> yes, fewer and fewer places. Unless, though. of course, they're extra dimensional. Yeah, <laughs> Greg doesn't buy that. Extent. Yeah, uh, that's a little f- more far out. I, <laughs> I, I could buy kind of a lost race. Yeah, I mean that's more plausible. Yeah, but stuff and blinking in and out of our dimension—that's a little harder. Yeah, we got it. Too bad Einstein's not around to help explain that. So, you know, this, this got me thinking, Greg. Sorry to just spring it on you right now. But as we're in October, maybe we can get another – it would be really fun to get another podcast in before the end of uh, October and maybe see if we can find some good um, ghost stories and stuff oh, like that. So yeah. That would be great. I've, yeah. So this is episode 12, and we've been doing this since 2009. So it's about one podcast every two months. Yeah. We were pretty – optimistic when we started we were hoping every two weeks yeah but, uh, nah. <laughs> life is busy even even when you're not married and you don't have kids <laughs> yeah um, just jobs and friends and family can keep you busy yeah. 
but we we love it, and I it's great, and it's just it's it's great. I, I just enjoy doing this anytime we can do it. But it's hard, yeah. you know, traveling and all that. But here we are, and we know you're all happy to hear us again. <laughs> and the next story kind of hit me because of uh, last few years I've had some dental problems, not huge, luckily. But uh, Andy was there when one of my molar, one of my back teeth cracked, and I, I yelped and jumped to the ceiling. And that was the first of several crowns that I've enjoyed uh, receiving <laughs> over the last few years. But when I read this story, I leapt for joy. It's a new dental gel. This is really cool. You know, and it's funny because I talk to people about dentists and they, they hate the needle. The needle doesn't bug me because I know the needle means I'm not going to be suffering too much pain. But people hate the needle. But anyway, so this is a very interesting development for all those of you out there that uh, – have less than optimal dental care and have to get the occasional filling or crown. All right, here it is. And boy, we're not very good at attributing things. This will be on the, <laughs> we'll have the link. You'll find out where we got the story. We're stealing people's stories. But I, I heard this a few months ago and, and uh, had to talk about it. Okay, dentists could soon hang up their drills. A new peptide embedded in a soft gel or a thin flexible film and placed next to a cavity encourages cells inside teeth to regenerate in about a month, according to a new study in the journal ACS Nano. This technology is the first of a kind of its kind. The new gel or film could eliminate the need for painful cavities or, or drill deep into a root canal of an infected tooth. It's not like a toothpaste which prevents cavities, said Nadia, my turn for this, um, <laughs> Burkani Jessel. A scientist at the Institut National de la Santa et de la Recha Medical <laughs> and a co-author of the recent paper, here we are really trying to control cavities after they develop. Drilling, drilling teeth and filling them is safe and effective. Dentists fill millions of cavities each year across the United States. However, though dentists numb the tooth, many patients still rue the sound of that drill. The new research could make a trip to the dentist's office more pleasant said the doctor. Instead of a drill, a quick dab of a gel or a thin film against an infected tooth could heal the teeth from within. How's that? That's awesome. Cavities are bacteria and pus-filled holes <laughs> on or in teeth, which can lead to discomfort, pain, or even tooth loss. When people eat acidic foods, consume sugary snacks, or simply don't maintain proper oral hygiene, bacteria begin to eat away at the protective enamel and other minerals inside teeth. The gel or thin f film contains a peptide known as MSH, or melocyte-stimulating <laughs> hormone. Previous experiments reported in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences show that MSH encourages bone regeneration. Bone and teeth are fairly similar, so the French scientists reasoned that if the MSH were applied to teeth, it should help them heal as well. To test their theory, the French scientists applied the film or gel which contained the MSH to cavity-filled mice teeth. After about one month, the cavities had disappeared. There you go. And skipping a few paragraphs. In the meantime, this is important, everyone, especially after <laughs> going through all this work the past few years. In the meantime, patients can't slacken their oral health hygiene. <laughs> Numerous clinical trials over several years will have to be completed before the MSH-containing gels or films are available to treat cavities in humans. So this is the best news in a while. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so Andy, what's your last encounter with a dentist? Oh, man. Well, I need to um, 
it wasn't too bad, but I need to have uh, my wisdom teeth, which grew in years ago. Uh, but now they're 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 kind of crooked. Uh, they're not impacting the other teeth, but they they need to be taken out. Oh yeah, I forgot so, about that. You've been putting that off. Yeah. So well, you know, some of it is uh, you know insurance. So um, so I need a couple things done. I need a deep cleaning done, and I need my wisdom teeth taken yeah. out. So if they could come up with a some sort of paste that would just dissolve just your wisdom teeth away painlessly, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Can they do that before next year? That'd be really cool. <laughs> Uh, the, the other thing that you're reading of that story and you're stumbling, I just, before we do our next podcast, we're going to sit down with, this is our promise to you from Greg and I, our least, loyal listeners, I'll, or at least I'll promise and I'll see if Greg will too, that we will sit down and we will look at the difficult to pronunciate stuff <laughs> and the things that we're trying to read and we will try to do a run through in which we will make an attempt to get the pronunciation down because boy that's driving me nuts no, you, you just have to change it on the fly just say the governor of the territory <laughs> yeah, 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 right, you, you right. don't even bother saying the governor's name or the territory yes, name. that's uh, uh, what some, i did in my story I some region some region in siberia yeah. yeah that's all our loyal listeners care about <laughs> they don't care about the names <laughs> So our, our big story, the one we kind of want to end on, is something that Greg dug up um, that I, I, d- I definitely find interesting. And it's a sort of story you've heard before. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you my – I'll give you the gist and then I'll tell you my opinion on it. And I'll let Greg uh, tell you his opinion on it as well. Um, and this comes from an article written by John Markoff, who is a known science writer, science and technology writer. And uh, – it says the government uh, – the title of the article is government aims to build a, quote, data eye in the sky, unquote, uh, which – did, did you find that a little misleading, Greg? Because I, when I saw the title, I thought it was going to be about satellite technology. Yeah, it's a bit misleading. Yeah. Um, so anyways – The concept's kind of there though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So from, from the article – more than 60 years ago in his Foundation series, the science fiction novelist Isaac Asimov invented a new science, psychohistory, that combined mathematics and psychology to predict the future. Now social scientists are trying to mine the vast resources of the internet, web searches and Twitter messages, Facebook and blog posts, the dig- digital location trails generated by billions of cell phones to do the same thing. Um, the most optimistic researchers believe that these storehouses of big data will for the first time reveal sociological laws of human behavior, enabling them to predict political crises, revolutions, and other forms of social and economic instability, just as physicists and chemists can predict natural phenomenon. Um, and it goes on, you know, to uh, the the government. Uh, there's Now, there's a group that in this article I had never heard of before until reading this, and it's uh, pronounced IARPA, and it stands for Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity. Uh, sounds very similar to DARPA, yes. which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects oh, Agency. That's from memory. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and as it says, uh, the government is showing interest in the idea. This summer, a little-known intelligence agency that the aforementioned, the ARPA, began seeking ideas from academic social scientists and corporations for ways to automatically scan the Internet in 21 Latin American countries for, quote, big data, according to a research proposal being circulated by the agency. Um, So it is intended to be an entire – I'm once again reading from the article – 
It is intended to be an entirely automated system, a, quote, data eye in the sky, unquote, without human intervention, according to the program proposal. Uh, the research will not be limited to political and economic events, but would also explore the ability to predict pandemics and other type of widespread contagion, something that has been pursued independently by civilian researchers and by company like Google. Uh, the automated, uh, I'm skipping around in the article, but here, the automated data collection system is to focus on patterns of communication, consumption and movement of populations. It will publicly it will use publicly accessible data, including web search queries, blog entries, internet traffic flow, financial market indicators, traffic webcams, and changes in Wikipedia entries. Um, now, uh, uh, you know, there's obviously people who have issues with this as well. It makes people, as far as uh, privacy and so forth, um, for example, a quote by uh, David Price, I have total information awareness flashbacks uh, when things like this happen. So David Price, an anthropologist at St. Martin's University in Lacey, Washington, local guy, uh, who has written about cooperation between social scientists and intelligence agencies. Quote, on the one hand, it's understandable for a nation state to want to track things like the outbreak of a pandemic, but I have to wonder about the total autom automation of this and what productive and, and what productive will come of it. Um, so things like this have been attempted in the past, and the article covers that. Uh, for example, there was uh, here, once again, from the article, uh, some, social, some scientists are skeptical. They cite the Pentagon's ill-fated Project Camelot in the 1960s, which also explored the possibility that social science could predict political and economic events, but was canceled in the face of widespread criticism by scholars. Uh, and then in recent years... However, academic opposition to military financing of research has faded. Since 2008, a Pentagon project called the Minerva Initiative. Doesn't that sound like something out of a movie? Yeah, Minerva. <laughs> and it even just sounds like a title to a movie, doesn't it? It does. Uh, the Minerva Initiative has paid for an array of studies, including research at Arizona State University and into political opponents of radical Muslims and a University of Texas study on the effects of climate change on African political stability. Uh, then they were talking about commercially, uh, which I've read about this before too. Um, uh, so far, there have only this is once again from the article. So far, there have been only scattered examples of the potential of mining social media. Last year, HP Labs researchers used Twitter data to accurate, accurately predict box office revenues of Hollywood movies. You know, to me, that doesn't seem that hard. You're a programmer, Greg. Doesn't it seem like let, let's say we'll take. Um, Zookeeper, the movie Zookeeper. Couldn't you just pr program a bot to go through Twitter entries that mention Zookeeper and then correlate negative words and positive words yeah. to yeah. some I sort mean, of thing? There, there's, it's pretty sophisticated, I think. But, well, I mean, it's doable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the but it just doesn't seem like whiz bang. Wow, I'm totally amazed. Sort yeah. Of. Well, some of the algorithms are probably pretty sophisticated. Yeah. Which that that reminds me of something that'll get my kind of response to this. Uh, in August, the National Science Foundation approved funds for research in using social media like Twitter and Facebook to assess earthquake damage in real time. Um, so my thing about it is, is that, yes, there is kind of a disturbing, you know, there's a disturbing aspect to the idea that, this is me talking now, not the article, that there's kind of automated uh, 
systems in place that are kind of watching everybody, yeah. right? Um, but I, I, I have a couple issues with it. One is, is like, I think they periodically try this sort of thing. And I, I sometimes think that things like sociology and psychology are about as much science as they are art forms. And that it's it's awfully hard to quantify some of these thing these yes. aspects of human so, behavior, yeah. and um, and I think they'll be able you you are able to do certain predictive things like uh, and once again I'll be returning this like Netflix will has algorithms that will make uh, suggestions to you based on your past uh, selections of movies and so forth, and you can also. You know, part- you can participate in that. You can rate, and you can you can say whether you're interested in certain things or not, and that helps helps them figure it out. Now, uh, I think that human nature is quirky enough that uh, it, it can cause issues with that, and and I think reliance on that is reliance on an automated system is problematic. And using Netflix as an example. They they have a thing uh, – there is a, such a thing, uh, believe it or not, that Netflix ran into that they called the, the Napoleon Dynamite problem. <laughs> and Netflix we, – We looked this up right before the podcast. Yeah, we looked it's it really up. Interesting. I, had, I never had heard of it. I had a memory of this and, and it reminded me of this. So Netflix uh, – was about two years ago, was yeah, it? Yeah, two years they ago. They had a uh, contest. Is it still ongoing? Oh, no. Someone won the contest. Someone won a million dollars. One million dollars. They had a million dollar contest. Uh to anybody who could figure out how to streamline their algorithms for their suggestion and recommendation soft, you yeah. know, software. And predicting how, how someone would rate a movie based on their past ratings. Right. And the big stumbling block that a lot of people working on this ran into uh, was the, what they called the Napoleon Dynamite problem in that – Napoleon films like Napoleon Dynamite and Lost in Translation are are strange and quirky and elicit a kind of unpredictable response from people. People either really love it or or really dislike it. And not a lot in between. And not a lot of in between and it's and it's very hard to predict. Now did the winner did they say whether the winner was able to kind of defeat that? Issue? Yeah, well I'm not sure how I'm not sure you can solve that. But right. The winner came up with an algorithm. It was a group of people, right. I believe. They came up with the algorithm was was more predictive, more successful than the uh, Netflix algorithm. Right. So, so they were able, evidently, to account for some of that quirky, right? Uh, quirkiness, people's it, response to quirky movies. Yeah, and it, and it does remind me there was a you know there's a famous uh, uh, sci-fi writer, and I wish I could remember which one of his books this was in, but. His name is uh, William Gibson and kind of one of the writers that they, they term cyberpunk. And he, he was actually the guy that most people say uh, invented the term cyberspace. And that was way back in the early 80s. But I remember he had a book and there, there was a character that was an AI character, an artificial intelligence character that kind of just existed out there on the internet. And uh, you could go – to this, if you knew the right way, the right connections, it's been a long time since I read this book, but um, you could ask this character, could, uh, uh, you know, do predictions and tell you where to find people and tell you how to do something. But the the AI in the story, at one point, somebody asks him, hey, is this going to happen or is that going to happen? And the AI kind of responded like, I can give you my best 
prediction. However, human beings, as much as you can predict their behavior, there's always that element of, I guess we'll just say quirkiness that's that you're unable to predict. And now my worry would be is if something like this were used, for example, in fighting terrorism, um, the problem with technology and, and the Achilles heel of leaning too heavily on technology to solve your problems is that for using the example for terrorism, what if you have somebody very clever there that figures out, uh, how to, let's say, hack the system. So in other words, you could you could either use misdirection by providing a whole bunch of predictable behavior over here, so you get the authorities look because their automated right. system is saying, "Look over here. This, here's some behavior over here that indicates there's a terrorist right. event about to happen." Where in fact you've hacked the system, and now you can you can go in a different direction. Yeah, and by hacking the system, you don't necessarily mean actually getting into the code. No, I mean, but if you have the terrorist cells, and you know. They probably have associations with thousands of people, and they tell their thousands of people, talk about this thing on Twitter right. and on your blog. Exactly, exactly. And then this algorithm may say, oh, it looks like this is going to happen. Yeah. And then, like, you're right. The authorities could kind of look for that. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not sure if they're looking at millions of people, can thousands of people throw it? I don't know. But it depends how much they're looking it, at kind of outliers. And then there's a... Or how they account for outliers. Right. I mean, that's where it gets sophisticated. Yeah. Because uh, you have to account. Because you could get a determined... Like re- any revolution, like yeah. the Russian Revolution, it's not so much that everyone decides at once, hey, we're going to change. Right. It's you get a small group of determined people who are really angry yeah. <laughs> and determined... That small group can sway huge populations. And maybe, I mean, I don't know, but maybe this eye in the sky is looking for that kind of Could determined uh, group. I, I, just, I just think the, the, the over-reliance on it also reminds me, <clears throat> once again, I can't remember where I, I read this. I, I want to say in the book Blink, but I'm not sure. Um, uh, but the military had something very... You know they've worked on systems very similar to this, and mm-hmm. there was something I think it was called. I, I'm I'm not getting it correct, but it, it was something called like total total combat awareness oh, or yeah, something. Oh yeah, I remember okay. that. That was one of Malcolm Gladwell's book. I think was it Blink? It might have been Blink, but at any rate, <laughs> so so very similar. A, a totally automated predictive modeling system. And remember, they war gamed it. If you read the yeah. same thing I did, they war gamed it, and they they contacted this general. Who is you know a retired uh, retired marine marine, gen- marine or I think general? He was marine general. I, I forget, but he was with, an uppy. He was an yeah, upper guy with with year, guy. years of combat and military experience and everything. They and they they wanted him to be the red team in the in the war games. In other words, be the enemy team. And he he based, let's just put it bluntly. He kicked its ass. Yeah, um, he, he he did a lot of un- th- unconventional warfare things and everything. Warfare they weren't prepared for so and he he totally ran right over them and, and totally won the war game and do you remember how they responded they said well we're gonna we're gonna throw out the results because you didn't play by the rules of play. <laughs> so this this is the sort of thing i mean yeah. yes this is interesting yes it's kind of scary but i i often wonder if, if the rely if if it's actually not a mistake to kind of rely on this stuff a little bit too heavily well and who so knows? Now, well, now I, I've talked for a while. Why don't you go yeah, ahead and talk? I mean, what, what do you I think mean, about who's it? Who's going to rely on it? Uh, yeah. If, if they use it 
I mean, you don't know what it is even right now. Right, right. right. It, it, it's something akin to a pole. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to take years of observations and, and, well, observations. Yeah. See what the model predicts and see what happens. Right. And I don't think they would ever totally rely on something like that. Mm, I don't know. Well, maybe. I mean, I well, but even if they did, say they had done this and had predicted the so-called Arab Spring. Right. You know, I guess if Mubarak had known his people were going to rebel a month ahead of time, maybe he would have clamped down harder sooner. Right. But, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, it, it can be one tool in in a toolbox. But, yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of boils down to control. Yeah. I mean, even if the government does know about, some of these things we do want control, right? right. Epidemics. Right, If there's right. a big flu influenza thing... And they see little spatterings and they see a pattern. Yeah, that's yeah. not a bad thing if the government yeah. says, hey, we see this pattern. We better get ready. And even if they get ready and it doesn't happen, that's fine. They got yeah. ready. Yeah. It's a little more scary for more author- authoritarian governments or uh, even internally. You know, we have our yeah. own civil rights, uh, you know, concerns in yeah. our country. So it just depends how it's used and yeah. uh, how much credence they put on it. Yeah. And I think the... In, big interesting question is privacy, but it sounds like a lot of this, these data it's are blogs, which are public, to, yeah. which are um, uh, Twitter, which is public, yeah. and Facebook, which – now, I wouldn't yeah. want them using Facebook because that's not really totally public yeah. unless you say it is. Boy, we—that's uh, a whole other discussion too—is how much how much are we putting? Well, right now, Greg and I, what we're doing right now, Greg and I are, are putting a, a certain amount of our our thoughts and feelings on stuff on on out there to the public. But um, yeah, so we'll we'll keep an eye on this and similar stories. And uh, I don't know. I think this this is a pretty good. Uh, Pretty good uh, return after a summer away from podcasting. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Um, my, we are actually in the bunker tonight. You might even hear the dogs and barking the dogs, upstairs. I, I'm not sure I mentioned I got a new dog in January, and he's a lot of fun. He's only two years old, and he's kind of crazy. And uh, so, anyway, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, we we got everything out. So yeah. um, so we had fun. Uh, we'll try to do this again, like Andy said. We'll do maybe a Halloween one. That's kind of a semi tradition, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. And uh, we're gonna post this on Rain City Bunker, and uh, the links will be up there as and, well. And I'm gonna put on a lot of talk somehow. I gotta figure out how to put on a lot of talk. But uh, anyway, thanks for listening. If our our small cadre of <laughs> thanks uh, for listening loyal. if you are listening uh, <laughs> our so, loyal small cadre of loyal listeners and we will talk to you next time next time